0: While well, everyone has been focused on long part of the yield curve, the 10-year, the 30-year long bond, because those have been selling off pretty substantially over the last couple of weeks, maybe they're looking at the wrong part of the curve. Instead, what we should be paying attention to is closer to the front, the two-year treasury and some of the short rates. Because when you look at what's happened over the last several months, the two-year hasn't really moved at all, which is odd because of all the reasons that are get cited for the long, the long end sell off the 10 year, the 30 year, sometimes the seven, maybe even the five, those should apply and then some to the two year because the two year is the spot on the curve that is most sensitive to rate hikes and rate hikes for longer and inflation risks and all of the stuff that everyone throws around to explain why the 10 year rate is going up. So we have this big problem here 10 years are going up, 30 years going up, the two year isn't. And it's not like the two year is right where the short-term rates are. The two year is heavily inverted too. So that two year inversion has only narrowed a tiny bit compared to the long end. What is going on on the yield curve? And maybe, are we, Steve, let's ask this question. Are we looking at the wrong spot? Everybody's paying attention to the tens. Maybe we should be paying attention to the twos.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree, Jeff, because if if you think about it, right, if if indeed this payroll report was as bullish as as the headline number looked, and, and it did. I mean, it's 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 a big number. And so you have to think you're a central banker. This is not exactly what you wanted to see. You want you want to see it cool off, but now this suggests that your belief that the wage price spiral in the labor market's gonna drive inflation. So the the prevailing narrative now should be the Fed is going to hike, which we know they said they probably would, but that doesn't mean anything either, that there's going to be a high, maybe one, could be two before the end of the year, and the 2 year saying, nah, don't, don't buy it. But you're right. If it did buy it, the two-year should be popping, and then, of course, maybe the rest of the curve follows, but like you said, it didn't budge
0: at all. Yeah, the reason the two-year is so sensitive to potential changes in short-term money rates is because of exactly that. If you want to own a two-year treasury, you're looking at the short end of the curve and saying over the next two years, if Jay Powell gets his way, short-term rates, which are already about 5.3%, they're going to go even higher. And if Jay Powell gets his way, they're going to stay up there. Why would I own a two-year treasury that's yielding just 5% or maybe 5.1% when if the Fed ends up being correct, I'm going to be able to get better than five and a half percent in, say, repo. So just as safe as owning a two-year treasury, I could just roll over repo for the next couple of years and get far better return than I can in a two-year treasury. So the two-year treasury, you're looking at the short end of the curve and thinking, I, if Jay Powell says this, I'm going to be following along with Jay. But that's the thing, right, Steve? The two years looking at Jay Powell, it's looking at the payroll number, it's looking at all of that and hearing all of that rhetoric that this is going to be higher for longer, and it's not pricing it. That's the weird part. It's 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 looking at something different. What it's what else are we looking at here?
1: Well I mean I think that is a key thing is we're looking at the fact that the 2 year's saying hey wait a minute I I don't buy that the Fed is maybe going to maintain it. and maybe it's just a little bit of a cut which we've heard central bankers saying hey next year maybe sometime we'll, we'll we'll trim down a little bit but that would make perfect sense of the 2 year's pricing that in which is surprisingly what it should do of course, we know what's going on the long end of the curve, at least part of it. And I know you've got another explanation is we know hedge funds right now are aggressively shorting the long end of the curve. We've heard from the bond kings, uh, Bill Gross and Gunlack We're hearing from uh, Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JPMorgan Chase, that rates have to go up. Of course, what's funny about uh, Dimon, uh, what I love about him, Jeff, and we hear this in the past, where he'll get out there and just pound the drum saying, look, rates are going to go up, rates are going to go up. And they tell it to all their hedge fund clients. And who's who's taking the opposite of the trade? J.P. Morgan. It's it's just hilarious what really is going on here. But we know they're going to need bonds at some point, and why why not buy them at this price when you're a big bank like them? But there's another reason uh, the longing curve is getting hammered. And uh, if I recall, you told me this may not last a whole lot longer.
0: Yeah, there's well, there's several reasons that. There's only one that doesn't apply that to the two years. So there's several reasons why long end rates, or several reasons that have been given why long end rates are going up, and those are the usual that you always hear. First of all, it's the Fed rate hikes, inflation risk, lo- higher for longer. There's also the Treasury issuance. Uh, you know, the government has gone at completely insane. And issuing a ton of debt. I mean, there's no denying that supply has been an issue. What else we got? As you said, speculators are short. We've got oil prices that are going up, which might make Jay Powell's job even harder. So there are any number of reasons why you could look at the bond market as a whole and say, yep, that sell off makes sense. But why isn't it going to the two year? That's the part that's really that needs to be filled in. And the, the explanation, the other explanation for why long rates, long end rates go up, is because it's September, August and September, this happens every year. And it has been happening since around 2016 and 2017, but really 2018 is where it became clearly defined. And I said, I think we talked about this on the show back in July, bonds don't do well in August and September and true to form, that's exactly what we've seen. Now, why is there a September effect in bonds? I couldn't tell you. And I've spent a lot of time trying to figure this out. It doesn't show up. There's no correlations in domestic stuff. There's no correlations in foreign stuff. Is the Chinese doing something every year? I mean, that's a prime suspect. We don't really know. But you look at the chart on any treasury, and it's not just treasuries, by the way. This happens all over the entire global bond market. Bonds, even Japanese government bonds, exhibit a clear uh, September effect. Every August and really September, long-end rates go up. And in this August and September, we've seen that completely, completely the same as, as before, but that just goes to, to – to, to, it makes this question about the two-year that much more important. What is it that's captured the two-year that is not even experiencing a September effect or much of one here because the two-year is really sticking right around 5%. Right, Jeff. And you would expect
1: that if the longer the curve's getting hammered, well, the front end of the curve is obviously should be going up a ton. I mean, it should be priced in. It should be double, right? I
0: mean, we got the long end up. we got higher for longer. The two years should be screaming. Yeah. And, but it's almost as if,
1: almost, that maybe there's more to all of this than the non-farm payroll report that the two years looking at and saying, hey, you know what? It doesn't matter if the payroll numbers are up a bunch. This, this just could be some adjustment by the BLS. We know the report, as you've said before, is highly smooth. It's designed to be kind of averaged out and that maybe it's looking at this and saying, you know what? I don't buy this report. There's probably something else coming. And besides, look at the rest of the data. You mean, look around the world. You keep hearing new things saying the slowest since this time or the fastest drop since so and so. I mean, it's over and over and over. So the two years got to be looking at this and saying, you know what? Central Bakers, you can hike all you want. The problem is you're going to be cutting at some point. And I already got your number on this.
0: I wonder, Steve, if it's not the Saudi Arabia gamble backfiring already, because we've talked about the weak economy. The weak economy could not afford another increase in oil prices. And lo and behold, they come along. They curtail supply. The WTI market goes absolutely crazy. Prices spike. We're running out of oil because the Saudis are holding line on production. Prices go up and... The inevitable consequence of that would be demand destruction and the economy going lower. So what have we seen over the last week? Oil prices topped out on September 27th. And over the last week, they're down about 12 percent, even though nothing has changed from Saudi Arabia. The Saudis didn't come out and say, oh, we're really sorry about everything. We forgive us. We're going to we're going to start supplying the market. That didn't happen. Instead, the market is down. And of course, this is short run. Anything could change over, the, over beyond the short run. But over the last week, a week and a half, oil prices are down 12%. So maybe that's kind of what the two years anticipating that for whatever the economy was before we got to September, this was just too much. Oil prices spiking again was going to inevitably lead to more demand destruction, which maybe that's what we saw in oil already into October.
1: Yeah. And we knew this had to happen because oil prices in a growing economy, they should be rising and consumers should be able to afford them. That's kind of the whole idea is this. You have the it's demand. There's enough demand driving prices higher. But the problem is due to inflation, as you know, Jeff, what happens now is Saudi Arabia and Russia raise the price. This takes more money out of the budget. You know, you look at the key things. We have rent, food and energy. So now we know in the household budget, the energy part just goes up a whole bunch. And the natural effect now, because the economy is slowing, which the two years telling us, is discretionary spending has to drop. Of course, we also know starting this month, student loan repayments are back. Nobody really knows what the effect is. Maybe the two years saying, you know what, I'll hedge myself a little bit on this payroll report. We'll see how long this lasts. But really, to me, the biggest number that came out this week wasn't the payroll report. I mean, look, I know everyone cares about it, except maybe you and I a whole lot. It was gasoline inventories, 6 million weekly bills. I mean, Jeff, I don't think that can just be a one off number. I mean, that's a big number telling us it's consumers, they're tapping out.
0: Yeah, there was, in addition to the gasoline inventory numbers, which were all throughout September, just a big one at the last week of September, the inventory numbers corroborated the EIA's. Um, Estimates for gasoline supplied or the amount that was actually used, which had absolutely crashed in September. The, the September average for gasoline supplied was worse than September 2020. So we're seeing seeing a very real possibility that as we ended the third quarter, we didn't end the third quarter very well, which is contrary, as you're saying, Stephen, to the payroll number, which I think, you know, just getting back to that very briefly, because we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on it. Because this the BLS really, really wants to smooth out the establishments area. They want that sucker to be really almost a straight line. Whenever you go through a period where it gets it starts to deviate downward, it's almost like it has this natural tendency to snap right back. And so we've seen what I call these middle finger months from the BLS where The the payroll reports get weak and then they snap right back for a month and then they get weak again and they snap right back. And we go through this, this repeated middle finger is the government really sending us the middle finger saying we're just smoothing this payroll number out, regardless of what the economic fundamentals are. And that's, you know, getting back to the original premise here about the two year. It's not like there aren't a shortage of potential problems that we could look key in on and say, yeah I would this would make sense why we would be concerned about this regardless of the headline payroll report as you as you mentioned Steve oil is a big one and especially if we get really that level of demand destruction that fast that tells us that there's other factors involved here as we're really in a bad situation if oil can, can lead to that that type of a quick response
1: yeah absolutely Jeff because we've been talking about how the probabilities that not just the U.S. economy, but the global economy was going to hit a wall and it needed to be the U.S. consumer that this happened with. And all of a sudden, you know, we have two main events here that I think are critical is one, not just the student loan repayments restarting, which is going to have an effect. The other thing is we noted from a recent Fed report that they thought at the end of the third quarter, or we'll just say thereabouts, that the pandemic stimulus was going to be gone. So if this is all true, Then what we're starting to see in the crude oil data, particularly the gasoline inventories, is kind of a leading indicator of hey, you know what? Maybe they are tapped out, and maybe the two-year treasury here is saying, you know what? I think I have a hunch that this is going to happen, and the Fed is going to end up cutting a little bit going forward, which we know. But I think there's a lot of that the bond market is telling us, at least in the front end of the curve here, that things are not what this non-farm payroll report is suggesting, not what the Fed's suggesting. And and maybe in the next couple of weeks, we'll get some validation on it. But I I just don't see that this is that soft landing, that this is a really good thing that's happening. I think, again, I think this gasoline bill is is just the wrong number at the
0: wrong time. Yeah. And there's, you know, you mentioned student loan repayments. You mentioned the exhaustion of savings. I'll go one better here. I'll talk incomes, incomes themselves, because the data we got from the other part of the government, the Bureau of Economic Analysis, the GDP folks. They have said all summer nominal disposable personal income has been slowing. In fact, it didn't grow much at all during the months leading up until, up until September. So that's consistent with the idea that you know consumers, businesses were really, we're really in bad shape. And then oil prices come along, and they're just one thing too many. So. It's not like we have just one thing or another. There are plenty of other things to worry about, especially when it comes to incomes, because incomes are the most important thing too. And to bring that back to the payroll report, the the slowing down in nominal incomes is reflected not in the headline establishment survey number, but in the wage and earnings data. Those have slowed down substantially too, which is, you know, there's a consistent message here of at least economic slowing. And like you, Steve, We know that soft landings don't happen. So the chances of we're slowing down just the right amount to achieve the soft landing, that's where we look at the two-year treasury saying, yeah, I just don't buy it, Um, especially with oil prices. Copper prices have been down recently. A lot of other markets that are suggesting as much as we've been talking about oil price and oil supply in prices up until now – Maybe that's what the sell-off in oil over the last week has been. We're going back to talking about demand again because demand's in serious trouble.
1: Yeah, you know, I agree with that, Jeff. Because I, one thing I look at is not just hours worked, um, but the average hourly earnings. But I look at a non-supervisory and you know the kind of the average employee, non you know production, production, non-supervisory role. And I like to look at total compensation. Multiply the two together because it really gives you a bigger picture. The government's saying, look, wages are rising at 4.2% year on year. Hey, that's really actually good until you start looking at, well, they're not getting a whole lot of hours at those wages compared to normal. So when you start putting those two together, you get a beautiful trend lower in the chart. And lo and behold, you you start looking at this inflation story and you say, wait a minute, if workers do not have enough income to afford prices, demand destruction occurs. And lo and behold, you see that beautiful relationship. And then, of course, the Fed comes along and says, well, we're concerned about wages going up and this wage price spiral. It's like, well, you want to bring inflation down. And where do you think businesses are going to get the money to pay their employees? I mean, it doesn't come out of thin air. So the two are going down together. Now, granted, next week we'll get the CPI report, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, next week. But I can't see a big move higher in inflation. Maybe we do get a one-month move here. But I don't see that the trend's going to break because total compensation growth is slowing; it's likely to continue to slow. And my guess is next month we're going to start to see this whole thing drop off really
0: fast. Yeah, when you go back to the labor data, the the idea of a wage price spiral, which is really what's leading the Fed to get into this higher for longer, when you see the wage statistics, you understand why the two year is not buying the higher for longer because you don't see the wage price spiral. In fact, you see the opposite of Steve. You're just saying. The slowdown is it's one thing to be on a nice gentle slowdown trend, but it looks like the slowdown trend has excel, has itself accelerated to the downside. So final message, I think here, you know, just to wrap this up, everybody's focused on the long end of the yield curve for you know good reason because it's it's been moving and everybody loves the the big story that's behind it, but for all the reasons that are supposed to be in it, they would be in the two-year and then some, but the two-year is resisting, and that's the resistance that I think people need to pay attention to.
1: Absolutely, Jeff. Well, 2 years are going to tell us if it starts to drop, watch that long of the curve come plummeting down, and I think we'll see that.
0: If you want to see more recent developments in the labor market in the United States, Click on the video at the link below me. As always, I thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you Eurodollar University subscribers, our Eurodollar University members too. And until next time, take care.